Hey, Ryan, welcome to the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Amanda, hello. Happy to be here. So when David and I were talking about starting this podcast around the accounting salon, we knew that we wanted it to be really casual and fun. And so I thought, who is more casual and fun than Ryan Watson? Oh, boy. We've really <laughs> set the bar high now. Okay. It's going to be five minutes and really boring. <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> welcome. Yeah, no, it should be fun. Well, I hope. We'll see, I guess. This episode of Accounting Salon Conversations is sponsored by our launch partner, Rippling. Rippling is more than payroll, and now that most employees are working remotely, your clients need more than just payroll. They need payroll, HR, and IT all working together in an all-in-one modern, flexible system. By using Rippling, when you add a new employee to payroll, you're simultaneously enrolling them in benefits, instantly setting up their email, and even sending them a computer preloaded with all the software and apps they need to do their job. Imagine how impressed your clients will be when this takes only 90 seconds. Right now, I'm sure most of you are doing just payroll, but with Rippling, you'll be able to expand the advisory work you're offering your clients. Rippling offers accountants free payroll and HR for their firms, a client dashboard, dedicated accountant support, and white glove migrations from other just payroll systems. To learn how you can evolve your client advisory services beyond bookkeeping and just payroll, head over to accountingsalonconversations.promo slash rippling. That's accountingsalonconversations.promo forward slash R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G. Rippling, everything your clients need. So you and I have known each other for a while. I was thinking about this. I mean, we're on like seven years, I think, that I've known yeah. you. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, we were talking a little bit before the episode, and I guess we met at the very first, uh, the inaugural US Zero Con in San Francisco, which I actually was trying to figure out what year that was. And um, 2013. Okay, I was going to guess 2013. You know, it's funny, the most memorable piece of that, though, and I guess the backstory for anybody, you know, we, we each had our practices. I don't really know much about what yours was like at the time, but I will tell you ours was very small. It's just myself <laughs> and my partner. I don't think either of us were full-time on the firm. I remember talking to you and the, we, you know, like lots of people in this, in this space, didn't touch, don't know anything about tax. And, and you were our uh, tax expert that we knew we needed but hadn't found. And I remember the, the most memorable part was after we, we got home you sent us these like really cool bow ties from some New Orleans <laughs> right. boutique. And I still have that bow tie to this day. I will tell you that I have never worn it, but I have packed it to wear on at least four occasions. And every time I get to where I'm going, I'm like, oh shit, I don't know how to tie this thing. And then I don't put it on, but I've tried. That's funny. For, for anyone listening out here, I want to be very clear that I am no longer doing tax work. I am not a tax expert. But in the day, that was your thing, or maybe it wasn't your thing, and that was just what we sort of described to you. I don't know. No, it was because I had just started my practice, so okay, you know that was the the days of like, if it comes in the door, I'll do it. Sure. Oh, we know those days. Were you a tax person? Because you were at some public firm before that, right? 
Yes, I was at Deloitte. I mean, oh, that's right. Yeah, we were. Both. Yeah, and I was in tax. You were in tax. Okay, I was, and I have a master's degree in taxation. So I don't understand. There's there's so many people in this like zero world that don't do tax because we're all audit people or some other version, and you're one of the few that actually have a tax background, and you're still not doing it. Correct. Because uh, just because you don't like you just don't like it. Well, this is what happened: is I did it for like the first three years of the of the practice, <clears throat> but. I realized that, I mean, you know, tax season isn't till April 15. It's like till October 15. So basically yeah. 10 months of the year I was doing stuff. It's not that I hated it, but it was keeping me away from doing the stuff that I knew I was going to love. The, yeah. the controllership stuff, the technology stuff. And so I walked away from it. And I mean, and that, that was, that was kind of scary because that was steady work. It was good money. Well, I wonder like, um, and not to take us down a rabbit hole that uh, we can never get out of, but you know, we think about tax sometimes at our firm and, uh, even to this day, we have varying degrees of, uh, an Amanda Aguilar, you know, relationship where we have other firms, you know, ideally speaking, our clients will come to us for CFO advisory and, and, you know, they'll, they'll already have some sort of tax relationship, but you know, 40, 50% of the time they don't. And so we've got to help resolve that for them. And we work with other firms locally and nationally, you know, again, varying degrees of success. Some firms partner incredibly well, others, not so well. And, you know, ultimately we own the daily relationship. And so we we take a bit of the responsibility uh, when it doesn't go well. And so that's a long-winded way of saying we often think about, okay, we should just start up, you know, a mini practice, a tax practice, or at least have, hire a specialist. But, it, you know, the biggest reason that we've never done that, and, and this is coming around to a question for you and your uh, experience, but the biggest reason we've never done that is because there's such a mismatch in terms of volume. You know, we've got, let's say, 100 clients that pay us, you know, between 1500 and 5000 a month, if I was able to service every one of those clients, I'd only ever be able to charge them, I don't know, 5000 bucks. It's not enough to build a practice, right? I'd have to go out and get a bunch of tax-only clients. I could just, you just make so much more from your recurring clients that it's never enough to sustain a once-a-year tax relationship. Yeah, I agree because, and, and, you know, I started off so small. I did have a couple of folks that would come in and do, you know, bottom level preparation. Mm-hmm. At some point we were doing, I would say a hundred returns, which is pretty good for, you know, like for a small practice, but I had to touch every one of those returns yeah. on the back end, And I, it was just totally not worth my time. But to your point, to go find somebody who was qualified enough to review and to sign off on returns. Yeah, exactly. You got to have enough. And so we've kicked around, all right, well, should we just buy a tax practice that has like a seed of work for this person to do while they also support? And that's crazy. And so anyways, we just keep resolving to focus on what we're good at and what we do and and try as best we can to partner with others. And um, you know, it'll work when it works. But isn't it interesting like how the pendulum comes back, you know, like where the traditional firms still a lot of them are heavy compliance and they're trying to move towards advisory monthly accounting services. But like, you know, you and our friend Kenji just at, they in the last couple of years added a tax department. Yep. It's funny that it's coming back to that. Like we are we're so far ahead that we're almost <laughs> coming I know full circle. Well, you know, I think in part some of us are doing the thing like we're it's a combination of doing the things that uh, we want to do 
and describing ourselves the way we want to be seen, which are these advisors who can help solve business challenges and meet your growth goals and all sorts of things, CFO level stuff. And certainly that's valuable to our clients and they think of us that way, but they also are like, there are things they need. There's just blocking and tackling, you know, in, in many ways they don't, we're their accountants too. And so they're, they need their accounting resolved. Right. And so, uh, you know, they're going to come to us and ask for things like tax. And so it's, it's hard not to be a one-stop shop. I was talking to a firm owner this early this week and, you know, we're having the same conversation. How do we get to more advisory out of much of clients? But his point to me was, my clients, my business clients don't see that there's a defining line between <laughs> monthly accounting and bookkeeping, sure. sales, sales tax returns, running payroll, income tax returns. To them, that's all dollars. It's all money. And that's what we should be doing. So I think the difference, though, in what the kind of firms that you and you and I have, I guess, is the mindset shift about it. Like, yeah that it's not commodity. It's not hourly based. It's more about being a holistic advisor. And maybe, maybe that does need to include some, some compliance. It just depends. I will say the thing that, um, you know, we, we have grown like a lot of firms who started from scratch and deliver advisory services have grown. I imagine, which is we started back in 2013 when we were with you and zero, uh, zero con, uh, doing, you know, commodity bookkeeping, like outsource monthly bookkeeping. I think our very first, actually, that's not true. I know our very first client, we charged $49 a month and we threw in the zero subscription for you. They were a friend, of course. It was like, I need to have a client. So I'll do it, right? Yeah. And this, by the way, was the goat cheese client, which so you'll remember. But uh, so anyways, and our, our, our second client was like $99 a month. And like, you know, we were all over the place. But all that to say, like we sort of continue to move up market and try to distance ourselves from commodity, just financial statement prep into more advisory forward-looking analysis. And um, I would say every year our average MRR has ticked up a little bit to whereas now it's a little bit over 1500. And so every year this conversation is less and less relevant. So for clients who come in the door and want a four to $5,000 you know, relationship, they're not thinking of us as a person who can do their taxes because they have a, you know, multifaceted solution, right? They have their CFO. They probably have an internal admin or bookkeeper. They certainly have a CPA who does their taxes. They might have, you know, they have a wealth manager. I mean, they've just got a lot of folks and they're more accustomed to, you know, the realization that like they are, they have outgrown the one size fits all model. And so they're looking for specialists. So again, every year the conversation gets less relevant, but for our smaller clients, who are looking for a, a one-size-fits-all. It was a real um, sticking point. All that to say, so I, the moral of that conversation, I think, is we keep thinking about doing a tax practice, but we probably never will. Yeah, All right. That was that was nine and a half minutes of therapy. So you're welcome. <laughs> so I know that you had a big 2020. Yeah, I yeah. so well, I assume the respect you're talking about is with regard to a, a new child. Yes. And yeah, so my my uh, my wife and I had our second. He's uh, now five weeks today. His name's Joe. So he's uh, so our older Jack is three and a half, and Joe is four weeks. So we're you know trying to get some sleep here and there. We just bought out of like our all of our friends have recommended we get the snoo. I don't know if you're familiar with this. No, Ryan, my kids are sixteen uh, and seventeen. There's so much new shit now that like I was like. What is, do you even call this parenting anymore with all these gadgets? Yeah, 
<laughs> it is like the it is one step below night nurse, I think. But uh, <laughs> it's like a you know a smart bassinet that like will rock your kid to sleep. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it'll it has like four levels of audio and motion, and it'll soothe your child ideally back to sleep. And if it gets to you know all if it runs through all four levels, it'll send you a push notification that says we're shutting down. You need to go get your kid. <laughs> Basically, wow, it's awesome. And so that has helped somewhat in the, the night. I mean, you know, on some level babies just wake up a lot, but yeah. So, so like it's really keeping him asleep longer than it would, than he normally would be asleep. Well, uh, you know, who knows? There's no, we didn't run like a test and control, <laughs> but it is, he's sleeping more than our first flep who did not have this new uh, benefit. So uh, we're going to keep it. <laughs> That's basically yeah. where we're at. Uh, yeah, yeah, it works. So yeah, that was obviously a big, and then, you know, I, I, otherwise like, things professionally have been, it's a good year. I have lots of things going at once, right? And I usually try to keep my life compartmentalized for whatever reason. So when I'm talking about my practice, I don't talk about other things. But all that to say, like, in addition to the the practice that I, you know, so upsource accounting, I'm a partner in that practice. And it had an awesome year. You know, we, we opened a Dayton office and we keep adding people. And, you know, we're having... We're having fun. The growth was good, but I think for the most part, like our our success is measured by, you know, we want to be a place where accountants can go and retire, which is like not really true of a lot of accounting firms, right? We both worked at Deloitte. That's not the model at all. And I absolutely want this to be a place where somebody can come join in the mailroom, so to speak, and retire a partner. And so uh, we had uh, no involuntary turnover, no voluntary turnover, and added two people in the last year. So I'd say I marked that as a success. In addition to the firm, I, I was working with a startup called Hology. I was the COO there. And uh, we sold that company. I left in April. And, and so now I'm, uh, I'm working on something new. So yeah, it's, it's, been a crazy, it's been a crazy year, but it's been, it's been good. How was your 2020? Good. You know, I, like everyone, it did not go at all like I thought it was going to, you know, a year ago when you start to look ahead to 2020, you're like, oh, maybe this will happen and maybe this will happen. And none of those mm-hmm. things happened. But some sure. other exciting things did happen that I couldn't have foreseen. So as you know, I got a book deal to write a book on zero. Uh-huh. How's that going, by the way? It is actually, I just um, yesterday got the final proofs. It's all laid out. And as soon as I click the button, I think it goes to print. Nice. Yeah. So it'll be out in April. So it's all. How would I buy it in April? Well, you can, you can pre-order it now on Amazon, right? If you'd like. You can. Okay. But how do I get a signed copy? I will send you a signed copy. Okay. There we go. (laughs) Uh, I'll buy it too, just so you get the. You know, I'm going to need some five-star reviews on Amazon. So even if you don't open it, I need you (laughs) You'll understand if I read the book first. I'm not just handing out five-star reviews. My reputation is on the line here. I got to make sure. Yeah, so that was cool. But it was, that was a bit also like having a baby because it took a really long time. And like before I saw any any progress, any fruit from it. So um, I broke yeah. pretty much the entire summer, like four and a half months. So I, the deal is with Wiley Publishing, a huge you know, 200-year-old sure. publishing company. And I had never written a book before. I'd written some pretty deep content, some pretty long articles, but never a 300-page book. Sure. Very different. I, was, I thought I could do it. So, um, so I get a call with this editor to pitch him the book, right? I was like, zero is awesome. Nobody has really written a book on the, for accountants, accountants and bookkeepers on zero. And I really believe that 
you know, we're on the verge of tons of adoption, especially in the US, and I'm the right person to do this. So I'm, you know, pitching him. And he's like, yeah. sounds great. Can you do it in four months? <laughs> and I was like, I was like uh, sure. Like, like, I don't know what that even means. That would have been like telling me, you know, can you swim and catch up? I'd be like, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. Fascinating. So you did it. And I guess um, I have multiple questions, not to flip the interview, interviewee relationship here, but my first question was like, okay, why, why, why did you want to write a book? I'm assuming that it's, you know, it's because of elephant and your branding. Like you're, you're trying to continue down the path of zero expert, hire me to teach you how to use it kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of it, but I just have all this stuff in my head about zero that I don't, did not feel like was available to the masses. Yep. You know, you know this because you've used it for so many years too. It's like, okay, well, there's a certain, there's a certain workflow process that works better than others. There are weird things around integrations, especially, and like how data moves through zero that that's something you can't get on the zero website. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So it was really like a an effort to push every button, open every screen, and figure out the best way to use it. So not just here's how you do, you know, you code a transaction, but like what's the best process at month end for getting all this stuff done. So Yeah, that makes sense. Learning the platform, how to hit the buttons or whatever is is one thing, and there's plenty of content on that, but how to like actually run an efficient business using the platform. That's the thing that nobody's teaching you and and uh, the thing that so many of these firms get wrong. So that's, yeah, I get it. That's awesome. Okay. So I have, I have another question. And I realized that, you know, in full disclosure, and among all the things that you do, you're a person who does lots of things also. You are still a Zero ambassador, right? I am. So I'm caveating that because I'm going to ask you a question about Zero, and you know you're a Zero ambassador. <laughs> I'm curious about like what's your take on the Zero landscape. I, here's my perspective. You know, we started our our firm in 2013. We were Zero only. Zero was the pioneer. I mean, it was brilliant. Their marketing was amazing. It was like we're gonna we are going to be the client advisory platform, right? You can build your business on zero. And they did this awesome job of creating a community of like-minded people who also wanted to help clients in advisory oriented ways. And so zero was like the go-to, not only that, the platform was just so much better. Like it was SaaS first, just blew QuickBooks out of the water. We, like many people were zero and zero only. And there was an awful lot of momentum. Zero entered the US, just exploded, 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 hiring lots of people going into different places. And then like lots of companies hit, like ran into the 600-pound gorilla or however many pounds the gorilla is that is into it. And QuickBooks, like they met the challenge. The platform is now way better. And so firms like ours, you know, felt like we we started to hit more friction by being zero only. And we made the decision two years ago to to support both. And I'll tell you in full disclosure, like almost every one of our new clients is on QuickBooks because that's what they are. And it's just, it was no longer a competitive advantage for us to force them to switch. And so we just said, right, great. We can support both. And now we're actually more QuickBooks than we are zero. So that's a long winded way of saying like, how do you see this whole evolution and, and where do you see, where is zero in sort of the enthusiasm cycle and where does it go next? Like, I don't know, where are we? Clearly, I think I really do think about this a lot because of course you do, right? You're, yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, like I have three businesses that are heavily vetted in zero because I believe in it. I'll explain, I guess, my thought process on that. And I still do. I mean, I, clearly, I wouldn't have written a book. And I do too, by the way. Not to say like all my personal, like our personal business, any other business I run, it's all on zero. Like I prefer zero. Yeah. 
Yeah, to your point, in 2013, when Zero came to the U.S., I guess maybe it came in actually 2012, but when we went to that first ZeroCon, like it was a different deal than what we, you and I were used to in traditional firms and going to conferences. I mean, I remember distinctly walking into into that gallery space. I mean, it was a conference, y'all, of like 250 people. It wasn't that many people. Yeah. Um, And walking in and in my professional dress, by the way, (laughs) because that's what we do for accounting conferences, right? Totally. Yeah. And walking in the front door and this gentleman shakes my hand is like, welcome to ZeroCon. I'm Rod Drury. Like he was standing right there. Yeah. In jeans and a t-shirt and sneakers. And so like there was always, back then for sure, there was a different vibe. It was cool. Like, I mean, it was really hard. It was, it made accountants feel cool in a way that had never, that wasn't even like a thing. I mean, they had like food trucks outside and I was like, what? Yeah. Like fake grass. Like it was very cool. And I mean, Zero is still, it still has that vibe, I believe. I agree. But your point back then, feature for feature, Zero was 1,000 times better than QBO. Yep. 1,000 times better. And QBO, and, you know, into it feeling the pressure from zero over the last, especially five years, probably has upped their game. I mean, it's a much better product now, probably because zero came to the market. So as we sit here, you know, the beginning of 2021 and you look feature for feature, there are some places where zero wins and there are some places yeah. where QBO wins. I mean, a clear wins, like there, there are clear wins by Intuit in certain pieces of the product. So I guess all that's to say, like it, I still like you prefer zero a hundred percent. I will never go to into it. <laughs> um, and that is not just about the features. That's about the way that they treat their advisors too. Yeah. You know, it's funny and, and not to cut you off, but it, on the note of how they treat their advisors, I was trying to think, you know, cause I, I actually had a, a small side story. I met Spencer. Do you remember Spencer? Chris Deck? Did you ever know Spencer? No. Spencer was our very first account manager at zero before Dorothy, I mean, I think it was like him and um, Jamie, like in the San Francisco office day one. So anyways, Spencer, but he has since gone on to a variety of different things. And now he's slinging uh, health insurance for Sequoia benefits or whatever. But anyways, we were catching up. All that to say, I was, you know, thinking of all the account managers we've had over time. I don't know who are Intuit account managers. I'm not even sure if we have one. I mean, I wouldn't be the person in our firm to have the relationship. But like with zero, it is very different that you have a person who's not just like there to answer support things, but like they're very dedicated to the growth of your practice. Yep. QuickBooks for us is just software. I mean, it is 100% a means to an end. And I guess that it turns out maybe that's good enough for them. You know, I don't know. Certainly we're using it, right? And uh, they don't need to invest any more in us, but it is a very distinct, distinctly different experience. Yeah, like think about think about the people you know that you've met through Zero over the years, and like almost universally, I'd still go out and have a drink with those folks. Well, again, I have not met anybody. I mean, certainly the folks from the salon who like are clearly more into the QuickBooks world, but I know them because of Salon. I, I, I granted, there is QuickBook Connect and you know or QB Connect, and uh, I've just never been. But yeah, of course, like it's a different. That's how I used to articulate it when, or try to articulate it when I was a Zero ambassador, or even before that. Like it is a I mean, that is the biggest difference is the community that Zero attracts and the type of mindset that a Zero firm has had versus a QuickBooks firm. Um, and I don't, that's just not to say that like there aren't plenty of like 
forward-thinking QuickBooks firms. The problem is there's just so many. It's like such a you know heterogeneous pool. I mean, there's just everything from like your very transactional bookkeeper to your large national firm to your you know forward-thinking advisor firm. And on zero, there really isn't that spectrum. It's it's predominantly all a similar kind of mindset. Well, what's interesting about that, what you just said, is that's kind of why I started Accounting Salon and why I got David Leary involved is because, yeah, you know, I knew you, I knew Jay Kimmelman, I knew Liz Mason, I knew Tate Henshaw, I knew all these folks with really progressive firms in the zero world, truly some of the smartest people I know. And I was like, certainly this must exist on the QBO side too. <laughs> like, there must be smart people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't know them. And turns out it does. But I, I suspect it was probably a little harder to find, in part because the community is just so much bigger. Like it just – it isn't a lightning rod of a community, right? Like it's a piece of software. I think people just – you know, zero became a, a movement. It became a lifestyle. It became an identity in a way that um, most software is unable to accomplish and, and Intuit was one of those, right? Nobody – like a, it wasn't anybody's identity. Yeah, it's funny because like when we had that very first accounting salon – at my house, <laughs> you yeah. weren't able to come. But my picture was there, though. I was there in spirit. You were. Your picture was there, and you were there in spirit. We had the very first one in at my house. Um, it was funny because, like, all the zero people. So it's probably that first year. I think it's probably 50-50 zero people and QBO people. Plus, yeah, sweet Rachel Fish as our token Sage person. Um, back then she was at Sage. So, um, anyway, the 50, 50, zero and QBO and like all the zero people, we were tight, man. Like we had, like, we knew each other. We knew each other's kids, but like there were QBO folks that kind of knew each other from a distance, but had never met in real life. Kind of a cult. It's very interesting. So I guess that's a good segue. So like what I guess is, you know, it's funny and, and and maybe I was like naive in my thinking about this, but I remember in 2013 and 14 when we were, you know, a new to zero and we were zero only, you know, it was our belief that zero was this sort of uh, heir apparent to being the predominant, you know, advisor or bookkeeping software in the U.S. Like it would do in the U.S. what it had done abroad. We were riding that wave, you know. You know, fast forwarding now, I think it's probably – Maybe Zero would disagree with me, but I'll say that that's probably not likely to be true. I don't think Zero is going to unseat the market share of QuickBooks. And so then I guess the question is like, I don't know, where would where does Zero go from here? Is it uh, like, you know, look, it's a giant market and most people are still on Excel anyways. So right. there's no reason for it to be winner take all. It's just preference, use this, don't use this, whatever. You know, be one of the several or specialize in something specific. I don't know. What do you think? Like, well, I mean, I know David and Blake have talked about this in their podcast that something like, you know, less than a quarter of businesses have adopted, fully adopted cloud. Right. That might be a dated and frankly, completely wrong statistic, but I'm just going to roll with it that there's still a lot of market out there for everyone. And I think this COVID thing only works in, you know, in the favor of true cloud-based companies. Yep. I, I agree. I, I, um, had spent some time with the OnPay folks, and yeah. uh, which I really like those guys a lot, and I like their product. And you know, obviously, one of my questions to them was like, "All right, so you know, Gusto is this thing out there that like all of the firms that I spend a lot of time with, including our own, we use, right?" So, like, what's the the strategy to compete with Gusto? And their point is pretty much the same, which is like, look. You've got the ADPs and the um, pay cores and the you know the traditional firms throwing off like significant amounts of exhaust every year via you know attrition on their clients. 
we don't need to beat gusto. Like even if we pick up 10% of those clients, we're, we're a giant business. And I think bookkeeping is the same way. There's just so many, I don't know, what is it? 20 million or some odd small businesses in the country. You don't have to have, it's not winner take all. You don't have to have everyone. So I am working on a, a project with like a consulting project for some accounting firms. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about document storage actually. And I was like, okay, well, would you, you know, tell me, is it's a, a group of accounting practice owners. Yep. Tell me which of these platforms are you using? Or do you think other folks in this group are using? Is it box, Dropbox, drive, OneDrive? And they're like, well, there are a lot of, a lot of folks are using servers. And I was like, what? <laughs> like internal servers. Like it never crossed my mind that that should be an option on the checklist. Right. And to your point, yeah. There's still a lot of analog business going on out there. You know, I think one thing COVID has done is made folks at some level have to adopt technology because like if you want to visit with anyone, you have to use Zoom. If you want to have groceries delivered to your house, you have to do that on an app. And I think yeah, that forced technology adoption from last year is going to make it much easier for us as advisors to be like, look, it's all, it's all the internet, <laughs> you know, you got this. It's not as hard as yeah. you think. Yeah. 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 Give up the servers. Yep. Totally though. I mean, again, I will tell you that what's funny about this conversation, this like, Hey, the internet's a thing and it's all the same is that we were having this conversation back in 2013 at the very first year gone. <laughs> you know, I, I really felt like at the time our biggest worry was, you know, how fast traditional firms would catch up. We had this like novel idea to service clients in this way. Like, oh my God, we got to get out there, right? We're, 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 you know, we're in a race. Yeah. I think full circle uh, realization is that like, A, first of all, the market is just giant. Like there's no winner take all here. Like you're not really hardly competing with any of these people. It's just, there's enough for everybody. And two, man, change happens just like a thousand times slower than you expect it to. (laughs) It's just, we're going to be talking about it five years from now. Like, Hey, people are still on servers. You know, there's this thing called Dropbox. I mean, it's just, it takes a long time. You guys are like, we got to hurry up and get a Lego and cards and a website because everybody's right behind us. (laughs) It turns out like we are all just crawling along. <laughs> and you know i mean i think that like in part that was um it was that that sort of naive thinking that made us do some dumb things early on like we would i feel like a lot of firm owners feel this way but you know you you feel like where you're sort of out of control right where like you don't have good processes for this and you're probably working more out everybody's kind of working more hours than they need to because things are just a little out of control because you're bringing in a lot of business and it's just you're working too hard to get it done. And we were in that phase for probably like five years. And then we yeah. just kept telling ourselves like, you know what? We just have this like thing we have to get, you know, once, once we get through October, we'll have some time in November and then we can like really get our shit together. And then, of course, November would come or October would come and we would be in some other thing. And it was just one of those like the important moderate urgent would just sort of like continue to kick down the road. And we let it because we felt like we were sprinting, right? We felt like we were Mm -hmm. in a race. And then we realized like, wait a minute, we're not in a race. Nobody's (laughs) catching us. Like we need to just like slow down. It's okay if we don't onboard the, you know, number of new client goal this month because sustainability is just a million times more important. And I will say that if we think about 2020, that is one thing that we finally accomplished for the first time in the history of upsourced accounting is that we now finally have like a sustainable engine 
where we can bring in as many clients as we want to and we don't feel like we're working really hard. We feel like like we know how to do this. We have it written down. We've done it a bunch of times. Yeah. And um, boy, that has made like all the difference in the world. It makes it actually kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think we did the same thing, right? And that, that was definitely in the tax years, we're like, we don't have time to build this correctly. Um, and it has still taken us years and years and years. And that's partially because I don't do much in the accounting um, firm side anymore. I'm doing much more with Elephant. So it, there are just um, chunks of time where I'm like, we are going to fix this one thing and or document this one thing. This is happening. Yeah, and do it. But it hasn't been a consistent effort. I think we're, we're probably close to there too. But um, man, it feels good. Feels good. Yeah, so I know. Gosh, tell me about it. So what's your deal on the accounting firm, by the way? Do you have like <laughs> a partner there or do you have other people or like is it just – kind of uh, a, a smaller group of clients that have you stuck with for a while and it's, you know, you're not actively trying to acquire more. Like, I don't know, what's the, I always wonder that, but I've never asked you about it. All of those, all of those. So, well, except I don't have a partner. Okay. Yeah. So it's my practice. Aguilard Accounting is my practice. I have one basically full-time staff um, accountant who generally basically runs the practice, right? Like she does all the practice stuff. I would say maybe 25%, 20 to 25% of my time is is allocated to the accounting firm. Our website, like most, has a like self-scheduling tool where you can get sure. a consultation. I could talk to you. And so I get on these 15-minute Zoom calls and basically actively try to talk people out of hiring us. Hiring you. Trust me, you can do this. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like... Yeah, so unless they fit, unless like unless a lead comes in fitting a very very narrow, specific industry specific revenue specific um, processes, like we are you law firms these days? Yeah, half of our clients are law firms, and the other half are other professional services, marketing yeah, agencies, yeah. or whatever. And we do have a couple of like legacy clients that we just held on to because they're local. They're out of our not like we would probably not take them again just because they're sure. not in the industries we want to serve but yeah 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 we all have those i would say we're in the place of probably uh onboarding one client a month ish well that's still i mean honestly when you told me that you were trying to talk people out of hiring you that's more than i expected that's good i mean yeah it's yeah. that's it's growing for sure i mean you're probably not churning a client a month no no we're not no we're not our clients stick around so so it's pretty good but um and you know it's important to me to keep at least like one foot in the accounting firm ownership space because yeah i mean you and i've had this talk before like all these firm coaches and consultants who've never successfully run an accounting practice yeah it's nauseating it's gross it's so gross yeah yeah it is i mean of course i i <laughs> i i get why they do it it's very profitable and good for them you know i have all the respect in the world for any kind of entrepreneur as long as you're doing it legally and even you know even those folks but <laughs> it's not the way i would run and run a business and in my life cycle with upsourced accounting i've you know from the from the beginning there's been times where i've been 100 percent devoted to the practice there's been times where i've been zero percent devoted to the practice but I think as of like three or four years ago, I had decided that I don't ever want to be 0% devoted to the practice again, mm -hmm. because a lot of the things I do and touch have some sort of, they kind of have some connection back to, you know, this, this world and I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose the perspective. And so I'd say I'm probably 50% of my time devoted today. And yeah, for, you know, for all those reasons. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a cool time to be an accountant. It's a cool time to be an accountant because especially with, with having, 
experience in software because the it all changes so often. It all yeah. changes so often. And especially when you find your like your people on this, uh-huh. it gets so nerdy so fast. It is like exciting and good. It really does. I don't know when this episode is going to go live, but because we're recording it before the new year, I'm guessing it'll be after the new year. So it'll probably be pretty close to that for the new year. So what do you, do you have like resolutions or do you have? Oh, for 2021? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, professionally or personally? <laughs> well, I don't know. Whatever you want to share. I, I, uh, I, both. Yeah. So, well, I'll start with the easy stuff, the professional stuff. Um, well, getting this book out the door would be great. So that'll be April. Um, hopefully, a couple of people will buy it besides my mother. I'm buying it. Everybody listening is going to buy it. Do we know what the price point on this thing is? I want to say it's like in the $45 range-ish. If you look on Amazon, it's called Zero Colon. A comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers. Oh, okay. Got it. So you can look it up and it, you can pre-order. But anyway, so getting the book out the door, um, building more self-paced content around zero for Elephant. So we do, and we're really good at bespoke training, live training, but yeah. we are actively trying to, building out currently, building out some self-paced stuff in a portal so that folks can send their staff, their new staff to be trained or, or, you know, pick up zero and learn it yep. at their own pace. So we're doing that in a way that will be like a simulated environment. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. Is elephant like, you know, as you think about all the things that you are involved in, is that like your 80 for 20? Is that where, where, like, if you're thinking of something in the shower, is it usually elephant? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's just such a need for tech training in the accounting space. And so, so you know, Elephant does technology training and practice management training. Um, we don't do tax training. We don't do audit training. But there's such a need for good content around there that's not pay to play, that's not sponsored, yeah. like that's really useful. So totally every day, you know, as I'm walking or in the shower, I'm like, oh, we should build this. We should build this thing. Yeah. It, do you, are you primarily catering to just firms or is there any element of this that looks like a sort of a quasi associate's degree, if you will, like a, a certification that I'm a person, I want to go be gainfully employed in this new world. I could rely on elephant. I mean, we've talked about it. Uh-huh. We've talked about like a certificate for being like a bookkeeper or a virtual accountant. Yeah. But yeah. you know, there, there are other folks that are doing it already and probably maybe doing it well, maybe not doing it well, but doing it at scale <laughs> that um, well. I don't, I don't know that I want to go head to head with them yet. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think I mostly think of it from the perspective that like when we think about, you know, we have an accounting department and an advisory department and our accounting department are predominantly, um, bachelor's degree in accounting folks, but you know, they wouldn't necessarily need to be. I mean, I, I it wouldn't need to be like a hard requirement, but ultimately somebody who like is comfortable with technology and is good learner or whatever. And, and, you know, as you know, those are not easy to find. Like it's, it's difficult Oh God, no. for our own firm. Again, we, we, we have an office in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton's like a Rust Belt sort of developing, not developing, but hopefully, uh, you know, <laughs> Midwest town. And, uh, you know, we often think like, boy, it'd be great to be able to like be a meaningful employer in this town. And not only that, but also like provide 
um, professional careers for folks who otherwise, you know, wouldn't have that option and be able to come and like almost as an apprentice join upsource accounting and become an accountant in a way that would like allow you to grow and you wouldn't be hindered by your lack of a degree. Certainly not at our company because, you know, not, not unlike the, um, the code schools or the, um, yeah. You know, and so I, I just wondered if you ever thought that from your it's it's hard for us because we're just one firm, right? So, you know, to to do the kind of velocity where we could make a dent uh in Dayton employment would be, you know, several several to many years down the road. But you obviously are in a different position. I do think about this a lot. So as you know, I, I started my practice out of a divorce uh-huh. with children, right? So like that's how that's kinda where I started thinking about a virtual practice or having being cloud enabled is like, I've got these two little kids back then they were little, um, I've got to be available and I want to do this, you know, I've got a master's degree and I'm a CPA, but also I need flexibility. And so, you know, I think often about trying to create something at scale to empower single parents to have really good um, career options, but also flexibility. So yeah, I do think about, I think about bigger stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. And you're, and, and that's kind of what you're doing, right? Like you're, you're, you're focusing on the folks like in your world, helping them looks like you're a, you're a person who wants to be a solopreneur, right? Like, or, or maybe not always solopreneur, but you want to be an entrepreneur. You want to build a practice and elephant is one of the ways you can help get that practice out of the ground. Okay. All right, cool. 2021. What else? Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about non-accounting stuff. Okay. <laughs> the reasons that, you know, we have these virtual practices so we can have a life too. Sure. Yeah. So you know what 2020 did for me? It made me kind of a backpacking addict. Ooh, I have seen this on Instagram. I have been piecing it together. Yeah. So I started, I've always been romanced by the idea of hiking somewhere, of meaning uh-huh. like, get your ass dropped off in one spot. You got to make it somewhere else and you got to survive along the way. Like it's always been interesting to me. I like being self-reliant and feeling strong. Right. So I did my first section backpacking section of the Appalachian trail. Okay. Over the summer and it was freaking awesome. It was so great. And so I did another section in October and like that's what I'm hoping my 2021 looks like is more of that. More backpacking. I love it. More backpacking. Yeah. How about you? How about you? What does 2021 have for you? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's funny. I asked the question. I thought you're probably going to ask it back to me. I should have like an answer <laughs> for this, but I, I, I'm not as um, I'm not as organized about that. I'd say you know personally, obviously, um, you know, I just want my like young children to exit this pandemic uh, healthy so we can like go back to, you know, spending time vacationing and doing things like that again. I have uh, always a, like many people who own businesses, I'm a phone addict. So I have this perennial uh, resolution to like break my phone addiction and uh, be more present with my kids in the evening. And I, yeah, that'll probably last me through February. I just, I don't know. I cannot get a good routine to do that. Um, A thing that I am also trying to do in I have had more success at least so far is just being more positive. Like I just am a, it's really easy to just like be a negative person. Like here's an idea. Oh, that's dumb. And here's why that won't work. Or this person is an asshole and here's why. And I, you know, I think that's just always, that's always been like the way in which I've been funny. Like my humor was always like, you know, being negative in a funny way. And it's just, but it's always, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's a little toxic and I'm pretty ready to be done with it. And so I'm trying so hard to just have a completely positive take on all things and all people, even if I don't necessarily agree with them. That's really 
that's really self-aware to come up with that, Ryan. Like, yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It's it's um, it's taken some time. It's, it's related to this project I'm working on. It's a startup. That's you know, I'm not going to go into the details, but it's a it's basically like a, a recommendation network where people can build their reputations by recommending one another. And um, I think that whole process of like introspection and what drives people in their professional relationships made me realize, like, you know, gosh, I am like this like just reflexively negative person. I think it's like a defense. It's I, I don't really know, but anyways, I'm done. I'm ready to be done with it. So I, I don't see you at all as a negative person. I think um, you know you and I have the same sort of snarky, satirical sense of humor. It's snark. You're right. It totally is. Like I'm an optimistic person. Like I'm a <laughs> I'm optimistic to a fault, frankly. Yeah, it's 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 snark, but it's actually my like. If it's a thing I hear, like my at my reaction is to be snarky, but like snarky yeah. is me like putting it down in a funny way. And people will laugh and I'm like, yeah, that was good. But like, you know, there's probably other ways to to be funny too. So anyways, we're going to, we're going to see. And then, um, you know, professionally, like we've got, um, we are, um, so obviously I have that other startup that I'm working on and we've raised some money. And so obviously this is going to be a pretty big year for that. And then on the firm, um, we just went through a rebrand, spent a bunch of money on uh, a new logo and site and, and value proposition. Well, not really value proposition, articulating the value proposition. We're formally moving into, let's call it CFO services, which a lot of people, you know, by most people's definitions, we've been doing CFO services for, you know, five years or whatever it is, right? But we call it like a controller package where it's just a, you know, a very, a very defined, repeatable set of deliverables that we do every month. Like we'll do your KPI dashboard and we'll do a forward-looking projections and we'll have a monthly meeting with you and, and help you understand how you did. CFO services to me looks a little more ad hoc. It looks like transaction services. It looks like, um, you know, finding capital debt or equity. It looks like, um, incentive comp. It looks like lots of things and, and it's a little harder to build a repeatable model around. It's a little harder to price. It's a little harder to scope. It looks like, a, you know, most of our clients are, let's say, 15 to 30 employees, looks like, you know, 30 plus, right? But I think we are finally ready to, to sort of dip our toe into that water. I think we've built enough expertise in our specific niche to, you know, have a right to win there. So we are doing it. And that's like my project within the firm. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, again, I, we've, we've, we've taken like specific CFO engagements on that look like that, that are, you know, high dollar, but, um, ad hoc and have not been successful turning a profit. So it's certainly a, an endeavor, but, but that's our, that's our, that's our next thing. Keep on keeping on. You'll figure it out one of these days, right? Yeah. You know, we'll have fun doing it. You know, it's like, what's the worst of that? <laughs> well, um, you know, when we got on, I wondered if we had enough to talk about for 20 minutes. But... Oh, I think we could go three hours. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to everybody listening, but I think we could if we wanted. Yeah. Maybe we'll do round two. We'll yeah. come back and we'll talk about stuff. Well, it's awesome to catch up with you and hopefully yeah, you too. I'll get to see you in person in 2021. Fingers crossed. If I could put one resolution, one goal out there, one wish, it would be to see all these dear friends in person. So that's it. I think we can, but I don't know. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Well, it's good to see you. Kiss those babies for me. I I will. And your large babies. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. They're bigger. Both of them are bigger than me. I saw a picture from your Christmas recently. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're both way bigger than me. Yeah. I, I do have tall people. <laughs> I do have tall people. But you kiss those babies. I know it's hard right now, but... I know it's hard with two, like two is exponentially harder than one. Sure. It turns out I had a lot of free time before this. I didn't realize I used to think I didn't, but I did. <laughs> yeah. When you go to two, you're like, okay, can you just 
you know, don't wake the other one up in the middle of the night. That would be great. And I've been sleeping in a tractor bed for the last five weeks. I'll say this, Ryan, like, you know, I've got my two and there is something very, very sweet in seeing them love each other and knowing like, no matter what happens with you, they always have each other now, you know? So that is really cool. It, it feels more complete than it did before in that way. So yeah, it's, it's neat. Well, have a good one. Um, love you. I'll, I'll talk. All right, cool. Take care. See ya.